good morning. We are so glad that you're here today. If I hadn't already gotten a chance to uh, speak with you, my name is Paul and I am the current acting teaching pastor here at Crosspoint Fellowship. We are glad that, again, you have joined us today. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. If you want to turn there, there is a, an event in the Bible app. If you follow along with that, that will be there for you there this morning as well. Uh, just go to the events tab, search for Crosspoint Fellowship, find us, and it will be there. Um, other than that, let's dive in, shall we? Let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever... Ooh, you're holding my baby, Deb. How's that going? <laughs> Sorry, she's been wanting to do that for weeks. Uh, have you guys ever been in an argument with somebody? Maybe it was your fault. Uh, you caused it. You sought forgiveness. You, you apologized. And they told you it was okay, but you knew it really wasn't, right? It's like, hey, I'm, I'm so sorry that I did that. I was wrong. And they're just like, yeah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. No eye contact. Look the other way. Or yeah, don't worry about it. It's forgotten. And you're like, uh, I'm not so sure that what they're saying is exactly what they're meaning. Luckily for us, um, that's not how God works. See, that's not forgiveness. That, that type of forgiveness is not forgiveness. It's not productive. It doesn't do anything to repair a strained relationship, and it doesn't do anything to, uh, to make things better. Uh, but luckily for us, as I said, God never operates that way. When we seek forgiveness from God, God gives forgiveness. And so we're going to be looking in chapter 10 today, verses 1 through 18. It talks about uh, Christ's perfect sacrifice, the one that took place and is good once and for all. Follow along with me as I read. I'll be in the English Standard Version today, so it may sound a bit different than normal, but uh, we'll get there one way or another. This is what it says. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Become, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offerings of the body of Christ Jesus once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool at his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put, away, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So here's the thing. The law is perfect. The law is perfect, but oftentimes it's perverted. And we're the ones who do the perversion. We're the ones who pervert it. 
we look back at 10, 1 through 4, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, it's not perfect. We pervert it, but the law is there for a purpose. It's there to keep us in relationship with God. It's there to make sure that we don't stray too far away from God. The law is a good thing. There's always a danger, though, of being too far to the right and too far to the left. Right? The Pharisees took it too far to the right. They, they loved the law so much that anybody who broke the law was then hated. We should hate the sin and not the sinner. Well, they hated the sinner because of the sin. And so we can look at it that way and we can say, oh, this law thing, and we like to call that legalism, right? And a lot of us take pride that we're not super legalistic. I care more about people than I care about the law. And that's a good thing, but you can also go way too far to the left where you take pride in not following the law because, therefore, you're definitely not legalistic. Well, I may have sinned, but you know what? It's okay because I'm not being legalistic. The law is there for a reason. It's a good thing. It's supposed to give us life. It's supposed to bring us life. It's not supposed to tear us down. And depending on how we use it in our lives and in the lives of others, it can either build up or it can tear down. It's got one of those two options. But we never want to become too rigid because that's what the Pharisees did. But even Jesus tells us that he's not here to do away with the law. In Matthew 5, 17 through 20, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass through the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The missing ingredient for the Pharisees was love. Was love. There was no love in their following of the law. They didn't seek to build other people up. They looked for ways that they could tear other people down. And the minute somebody else sinned, they took joy in that because I'm not sinning this way. Look how great I am. And I think a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, we can do that. And maybe we all know that we're not without sin, but we like to compare our sins. You ever gotten that mood? Well, I may have done this, but so-and-so is an alcoholic. Right? Well, I may have lied to my boss and took a sick day when I was perfectly healthy and fine. But Joe down the street hasn't stopped drinking for 12 days. So in that regard, I'm doing great. Not really how it works. That's not good for you. That's not good for them. It's not good for your relationship with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we are told that the absence of love is nothing, right? That whole chapter talks about love, and it goes on to say that you can know everything, you can do everything, you can have all the powers in the world, you can know the entire Bible by heart, and yet if you have love, then you have nothing. And so the law without love is nothing but death. It's nothing. That's what death is. Death is nothing. Here's the second thing. Christ brought love back to the law. 
Verses 5 through 10 in our chapter say this, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. When he said this above, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. This is Jesus talking to God, okay? He does away with the first, meaning the first sacrificial system, to establish the second, giving his life on the cross. And by doing that, we will... Will we have been sanctified? And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Do you know what God desires? Do you know what God desires? God desires relationship. God desires relationship. He wants relationship with you, He wants relationship with your neighbor, He wants relationship with everybody. He wants relationship with the best person, He wants relationship with the worst person. That was His original plan, right? He set up the Garden of Eden, put Adam and Eve in it, and then dwelled among them. Why? Because he wanted to be in relationship with them. Not because he wanted to catch them in their sin. Not because he wanted to uh, be a helicopter parent, so to speak. It's because God wanted to have that relationship with Adam and Eve. He wanted to live life together. And he still seeks that from us today. But the only way that that could happen is for a perfect sacrifice to come and atone for sin. In Matthew chapter 15, 13, it says that greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Enter Jesus. Enter Jesus. If we look at Hebrews 10, 8 through 10, it, as I already read, it goes on to say, uh, you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in these sacrifices, right? But God came to do the will of Jesus. Or Jesus came to do the will of God. It's the Trinity. It can get confusing. Right? But Jesus came to do the will of God. That was his whole purpose for living. And so here Jesus says, I'm, I'm coming to bring love back to the law. I'm coming back to restore this relationship. He's done that for you. He's done that for me. Because God wasn't just okay with, with coexisting. That's why he prepared a body for Jesus, because he needed a sacrifice that would take coexistence out of the way and bring relationship back. See, the law of the Old Testament was merely in place so that people could still be in the presence of God. But there was still that separation. There wasn't that relationship because God cannot, in fact, be in the same place as sin. And so yearly that sacrifice was offered to say, God, let's continue to coexist. And God still provided for his people through this. But that relationship, that daily back and forth, that communication, it wasn't there. And so that's why Jesus came. That's why God prepared a body for his son to be the ultimate sacrifice. Christ was perfect because he knew we couldn't be. He knows you're not perfect. He knows I'm not perfect. He knows we cannot be perfect. So you have to let that go. That's something I have to let go in life of. I'm a perfectionist. Now, only about certain things, <laughs> to be honest. I, like, I don't care how clean my house is. My wife does. It bothers her that I'm just like, eh. I mean, 
the health department has not shut us down yet. So we're, we're, we're doing good. Uh, and I, I'll say this. Our house is like never that dirty. I feel like I need to say that so I'm not grounded later. Like she cleans daily. Our house is very nice. It's very well taken care of. I do help, mainly because she threatens to kill me. But the point is it still happens. Right? But about that, I'm just like, yeah, it's okay. But in my relationship with Jesus, I, I hold myself to this standard that I cannot meet. And in a way, it's, it's a good thing because we should never chase the law. We should always chase holiness, right? We should always go after Jesus. We should always go after God. But also, I turn it into this negative thing where when I can't meet that expectation, then it drives a wedge between God and I. And that's what happens, is a wedge comes in between our relationship. When we set the standard and we can't meet it, we feel like we can't be in the presence of God. And God at no point in life has ever said that. That's why he sent his son so he could be in relationship with you because he knew you weren't perfect. He knew that you wouldn't match up. And in a way, he's okay with that. Because if he wasn't, then Jesus never would have come in the first place. You understand what I'm saying there? Obviously, God does not want us to sin. But knowing that we would sin, he loved us enough to send his son to forgive that sin. And so instead of letting those things that we can't quite accomplish or letting those things that we can't quite, quite grasp separate us from God, we need to dig, dig fur, further in our relationship with God. We need to go deeper. Rodney had a really awesome, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, illustration. That's the word. It was like right there on the tip of the tongue. It almost didn't come out. Really awesome illustration last week about our relationship with God, how uh, our relationship with God's like the ocean, right? And some of us are standing on the beach, and we can see that. We can see our relationship. Some of us have been snorkeling. We're just at the surface level uh, in our relationship with God. And then some of us need to, to go deep diving, right? Some of us need to get down in there and, and, and really dig in uh, in our relationship. And that's really where all of us should be. But it's like... When we let these things separate us from God, our mind forgets how to swim. And if we can't swim, why even go to the beach? Why do I even need to look at the ocean if I can't step foot in it? Right, and so a lot of times we just drive farther and farther away from God and we, we leave God behind and that's when we fall off in our relationship. But God never has wanted that for you. God's never said, hey, I expect you to be perfect. God's never said, you have to be perfect. God said, I know that you can't be perfect, and so I've sent my son here for you so that we can be in relationship again. We have to stop holding ourselves to standards that we'll never meet. Because all we're ever going to do is set ourselves up for disappointment. And you don't want that. I don't want that. Who wants that? But in our relationship, as I've already said, we have to constantly seek holiness. Not legalism, not rule following, holiness. Because the law itself brings life. And if we're seeking holiness, then it stands to reason that we would follow the law. If we follow Jesus, by doing so in itself, we follow the law. Because Jesus didn't come to abolish it, but he came to fulfill it. It would be a shame to push God away when he has done everything in his power 
to make sure that he can draw you close. It'd be an absolute shame. Because that really is the one thing that God wants. It's relationship. That's the buzzword today. I may say it a thousand more times. Relationship. But God doesn't want to just coexist. He doesn't want you to be his neighbor. He doesn't want you to be some kind of stranger. He doesn't want you to just walk by and greet each other in the morning and say, hello, how are you? Good, I'm fine. He wants down in the nitty-gritty. He wants to know about your shame. He wants to know about your faults. He wants to know about your successes. He wants to be in relationship with you, and that means everything. He wants all of you. And because he couldn't have you with the sin, he found a way to get the sin away from you. And that is Jesus. The cool thing about this chapter, listen to this. So in verse 14, it says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, allow me to be a nerd for a minute, but the Greek word for sanctified here is agioxomenos. Very cool, I know. But this is what's cool about it. It denotes an action that's already been completed. It's already been completed. Christ has sanctified you through his sacrifice. It's a relative clause. It's relative to those who are being made holy. That's anybody who accepts Christ for who he is. If you say, Christ, I know that you are the Son of God. I know that you have come to save us from our sins. I know that you have come to resurrect me back to life. I know that you have come to bring me back into relationship with God. You are sanctified. It's completed. There's nothing else you have to do for it. That's why we tell you that works are not involved. Because on the cross, God made it happen. I don't know if that's cool for you, but for me that was really cool. Because oftentimes I feel like I have to earn it. Right? I feel like I have to follow the law, follow the law, follow the law, follow the law. I sinned, oh, I'm starting back at ground zero. That's not how it works. Right? It's not, it's not how it works. And it's not like that game on Price is Right, you know, where the little guy climbs up the mountain and if you go too far, you, all of a sudden you fall all the way to the ground. Like, I think that's sometimes how we picture our relationship with God. Like, we're just on an upward plane, and we're growing, and we're growing, and we're growing, and we screwed up, and now, crap, we're falling. Game over. And I don't know how many times in life I felt like, man, I am going to go to hell. If I'm just being honest, I'll have a thought, usually in traffic, sometimes at work when I'm speaking to technicians, and I'll just think, and I'll be like, man, I am going to hell. That is, that is, that is definitely happening. But Jesus knows that about me. Jesus knew that about me before I was ever born. He knows what I'm like. He knows my faults. He knows my strengths. And he loved me for all of it. He loved me for all of it. Then we look at the final two verses of our chapter. It says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Wherever there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Now you all have heard the term forgive and forget, right? Forgive and forget. That's what we're told. Forgive and forget. That's, that's not really how it works here on earth. At least it's not, maybe that is how it should work, but it, like I will forgive you if you seek forgiveness, but in the back of my mind, I'm going to kind of always remember what you had done there. And if we're being honest, I think we're all kind of a little bit like that. 
I don't know that's a bad trade. It's a way that we guard ourselves from being hurt again, right? Like we can forgive you. Like you are forgiven, but I, I'm not going to necessarily forget what it was that you did. And the next time you start acting shady, that's going to pop back a little closer to the front of my mind. But God tells us right here, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. When God forgives, he forgets. He forgets. You know, Scripture tells us that he's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, mind you, this is before Columbus. This is before all that where a lot of people thought, and well, probably all of them except for maybe God, I would assume, Jesus might have known that the earth was flat, right? They assumed that the earth was flat. If you're Kyrie Irving or one of those New Age folks, you maybe still believe that, and we can talk about how you're wrong later if you'd like to. But at this time, Jesus, came, they came with the words, he's cast my sins out as far as the east is from the west. Now, if you look at our earth, there is a northernmost point and there is a southernmost point, right? At some point, you can go as far north as you possibly can before you start going south. In the same way, you can go as far south as you can before you start coming back north. But there is no farthest east and farthest west. There's no definitive point. You can just keep circling. There's no eastern pole, right? No western pole. There's not like some weird Santa-like creature living at one. Because when God casts out sin, it continually goes away. And he's forgiven absolutely every wrong that you have ever done. Because he wants to be in relationship with you. He knows that you need him. He knows that you can't be perfect. Now he needs you to know that you are loved, you are forgiven, and that it's going to be okay. Let's pray, shall we? God, we come to you right now. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the time in your word. We ask God that you allow us all to just live in the confidence that we are forgiven because you accomplished that for us. It is done. It has taken place. And all we have to do is just ask for that, God. So God, I pray that there not be anyone in this room today who ha doesn't have that type of relationship with you, who hasn't said, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm far from God, but I want to be brought back into relationship with him. And if there is anybody that finds themselves in that position, God, I pray that you don't allow them to leave this place without talking to me today because there is nothing, nothing, nothing that you want more than to be together again. God, you are wonderful, you are powerful, and you are perfect. And yet you are gracious and loving enough to know that we will never be God, allow us to extend the same grace to others that you extend to us. Because for that, by that, we will be judged. Give us the will, give us the desire, give us the power to, to be like you, to have your spirit, to have your love, to say that it is forgiven. 
We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Now I will be standing over here to the left. And if you need to pray, I want you to come pray with me. Whatever it may be, there's nothing too big. There's nothing too small. Everything that happens over there is confidential. Um, I just want to be able to pray with you and, and talk to you about whatever it is in life that you may need to get off your chest. Some of you have been coming for a long time and you're not members of this church and maybe you want to be. And um, if you're ready for that step, come talk to me about that process. We'll, we'll get the ball rolling on that. We want that to happen. Um, some of you will say, look, I, I met Jesus a long time ago. I know that I have a relationship with him, but I haven't been keeping up my end of the bargain. I've allowed a wedge to come between us and uh, to drive me away from him, and I, I just want to rededicate myself and my walk. You want to rededicate your life to that relationship to him? Come talk to me about that. Literally, I mean that there is nothing that you could not talk to me about, even if you want to come tell me that the earth is flat. I love you guys. Let's worship.